Have you ever faced a life-changing moment? One of those experiences that forever changes the way how you see the world. It changes the paradigm with how you relate to and how you interact with the world around you. Maybe you got married. Maybe it was the birth of your first child. Maybe you went into the military or you took some time to travel abroad. You had some experience that forever just kind of turned your world upside down. Maybe your life experience somehow left you with scars. Somehow, whether they're physical or emotional, they left you with this tender place that never fully quite heals. I have two scars from two different surgeries, each with a different story to tell, one far scarier than the other. Both injuries occurred while playing a sport I love, a sport that I still play, except when we're not quarantined and the gyms aren't closed. But neither scars held me back from accomplishing what I believed it was that God had me to do. What, what, what scars do you have? How did you get them? What, what stories, stories do they tell? See, the disciples were living through their own life-changing moment. Imagine, imagine that you had, had one of your loved ones, your leader, your best friend, had just been executed in the most heinous way possible, right before your eyes. And not only that, you find out three days, you find out three days later that he rose from the dead. And you get to see him. You get to touch him, you get to be with him, you get to talk with the resurrected Jesus. Some of that experience, some of those moments might have caused some scars. They might they may have left some sort of shocking imprint on your life. Forever changed the disciples' world. See, their life-changing moment involved scars upon Jesus' body. Scars that were foretold by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53. He said, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Through his wounds, by his scars, we receive healing. After Jesus' resurrection, as we talked about last week, he got to spend 40 days with his disciples. He, he, he taught them and walked with them before he ascended back into heaven, where he disappeared behind the clouds, gone. While Jesus was with him, he said something about the Holy Spirit, a comforter, a, a helper that he was going to send down to them as a gift. That this might help heal the pain of Jesus no longer being with them. Jesus said, the days ahead, wait in Jerusalem. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come to you. And when the day came, there was this rush of wind, and there were tongues of fire on everyone's heads who were in the room that day. They were given the ability to speak in other languages that they previously did not know. Now, if you were in the room that day, I bet that would have been a life-changing experience. Today we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, and Luke tells us more about what happened on that day. The day of Pentecost. <clears throat> the Pen Pentecost was another Jewish festival, another important uh, festival in the Jewish calendar. And as many disciples would come to, many uh, Jews would come from all over the world to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. And as they were there, this was the moment that God chose to send down His Holy Spirit to His disciples. 
This was the moment that he, he would empower them to proclaim his message to people all over the world. And that day starts off a little bit crazy. These uh, 11 men, most of them from Galilee, and those who are from Galilee, they had a, a distinct accent. Maybe like someone from the Deep South, or someone from Texas, or someone from New York or Chicago. There's just something about their voice that you recognize them from a particular area. When these men spoke the language of the day, you could hear that particular accent. But these men with a particular accent were kind of from the, the backwoods of Galilee, not the, the most educated of men. <clears throat> All of a sudden, they have the ability to speak these other languages. And the people begin to think that they are drunk. These guys are crazy. <clears throat> they must be drunk. They must have had too much wine, but it was nine in the morning. And Peter addresses the crowd, telling them that they're not drunk. And then he proceeds to tell them something far more important. This is what Luke records for us <clears throat> from that day. Then Peter stood up with the eleven. Remember, uh, Judas was no longer among them. <clears throat> and he raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's, it's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of the prophet Joel. In the last days, <clears throat> God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. They will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, let me stop there for just a moment. See, this is Peter's introduction. This is Peter's introduction to, to the sermon that he's going to preach on this day. And, and what he's proving at first is, hey, we're not crazy. We're not crazy. We're, we're, we're not to be ignored. The people thought they were drunk. And are you going to, to listen to a drunk person for wisdom? No one pays attention to the drunk, drunk person. You might look at them and, and laugh. You might uh, listen to them and see, see just how crazy they are, but you don't gather wisdom from a drunk. And Peter says to them, hey guys, it's nine in the morning. It's way too early for this to be happening. And then he begins to tell them that this was all foretold by the prophet Joel. Now, I'm going to go on a limb and say that, that we're probably all a little bit behind on our uh, reading of the Old Testament minor prophets. And even if you have read the, the book of Joel recently, I'm pretty sure you probably haven't been considering its implications to first century Palestine. But Peter goes through, and he begins to explain to them that, that, this, that this was brought about by God's plan. Maybe Peter knew these verses. Maybe God brought them to his memory. But as he quotes it, he says, hey, these strange <clears throat> events, these strange abilities that we have that we're gifted to speak in these other languages, well, we've been gifted and empowered by God so that others could call on his name and be saved. <clears throat> Maybe many in the crowd that day would remember the day that the sun turned to darkness and the moon turned to blood. Maybe their, their memory would be called back the day when Jesus was crucified. It had only been just a few weeks previous. 
They, maybe they begin to put the pieces together and see this as a fulfillment of the prophecy, not just strange occurrences of this day. <clears throat> Peter continues, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by God, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead. He, he, he freed him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said this about him. I saw, I saw the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor let your Holy One see decay. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is right here in this city to this day. He was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. That God raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses to the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God. He was received from the Father. And we re he has re received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend in the heaven. And he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in my right hand. Until I make your enemies a footstool for my feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. See, Peter is now going to tell them what he came to tell them. Remember, they didn't understand. They thought he was drunk, and he goes, no, 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 we're not drunk. We're just empowered by God. And then he proceeds to tell them that God sent Jesus as a man and he was accredited to them by miracles, wonders, and signs that God did in their presence. They experienced this. Many of them were, were, were there to, to, to behold some of the miracles that Jesus performed. Some of them had, had only heard about it. All of them had experienced it one way or the other. They knew of Jesus. It was common knowledge, the, the, the things that he said and the things that he did. He's believed by many that he to have come from God as a great teacher, as a miracle worker. And those would only prove his true identity. His true identity is what got him in trouble. See, the religious establishment was not so keen on Jesus being the Messiah. In fact, they began to work to bring about an end. It was by their, by, they were the wicked men that helped put him to death. But it was God's deliberate plan. It was God's plan from the beginning. They, they, they thought it was their idea. But God's plan from the beginning was to bring Jesus to the cross to save us. Is it surprising the cross was God's idea? That an instrument of torture and death and defeat was essential to bring about our victory over sin? But here's a twist. Though he died, he didn't remain dead. God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. 
That word agony is an interesting word. It's the word that would refer to the, the, the birth pains, the, the, the pains that a mother would go through in the delivery of a child. And through the beauty of natural childbirth, it's also mixed with the pain and struggle of delivery. Kind of an interesting metaphor attached to death. But it paints a good picture. It paints the idea that Jesus was the first to experience this new birth from the resurrection of the dead. And Peter goes on. He quotes a psalm of David. He said that, that uh, he refers to his Holy One not being abandoned to the realm of the dead, or letting the Holy, his Holy One see decay. And many thought David was referring to himself. But Peter says, this, David's not talking about himself. We can go to his, his tomb today. We can go to the very place where he is laid and, and see where he is at. David was not talking about himself. David was acting as a prophet for telling a future resurrection. The future resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah. One of his own descendants who God would place on the throne. The proof of the resurrection was the eyewitness reports of the disciples. That he appeared to the eleven that remained. He appeared to groups of, a group of, of 500 other believers. He appeared to many other people. So it wasn't just one person's account or another person's account. There were many who saw him. And these reports had made their way through the crowd. The Messiah was not bound by death. Jesus broke the bonds of death by resurrection and proved that he alone is the Messiah. Then Peter sums up his sermon in one powerful statement. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Maybe your Bible says Christ. In the word Christ and Messiah, they are, they are interchangeable. They, they both refer to God's anointed, God's chosen one. The word Lord means boss and master. And these titles are significant. That God chose, that God placed them upon Jesus. He, to prove that he was the master and Lord and ruler over all. And Peter said that we can be assured of this. We can be assured of this. That word assured means certain. It means strong. It means something we can count on. We can count on Jesus being the Lord and Master and Ruler over all because God has placed him there. Jesus said it like this in the night before he was crucified. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Peter gets up and he delivers this powerful sermon. He delivers this teaching that identifying Jesus as the Messiah, that he was uh, chosen by God, that he was uh, uh, executed by the religious leaders, part of God's plan, and then he raised him from the dead. And maybe this was the first time that many in the crowd heard this. This is their response to Peter's message. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They showed a level of belief. Hey, if we believe something and it is new to us, what's our next step? What's the thing that we need to do? And then Peter gives them this clear, concise answer. 
Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The Lord our God is still calling men and women today. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted this message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. People heard Peter speak in a powerful way. This Galilean fisherman had wisdom. And he proved it to them with, 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 with their experience. And they said, what shall we do? What shall we do? I mean, if this is true, how does this affect our lives? We've experienced this a lot in the last few weeks, haven't we? I mean, recently we've, we've kind of been forced or chosen uh, based on, on, on information to, to limit our activities in, in public. And when we go into public, maybe we, we should wear a, a face mask, something we would have never thought of six or eight weeks ago. And, and maybe you're still adjusting the fact that we're not able to worship together in this building. A lot of our normal activities have been suspended for the time being because of the life-changing moment that we are in. The crowd of this day was experiencing a life-changing moment. They were a life-changing experience. And they said, hey, based on this new information, based on this new wisdom that you've given us, what shall we do? Peter gave them this Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The evidence presented through the power and the call of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people responded and were baptized. I begin to wonder, how long did it take them to baptize 3,000 people? Where did they find enough water in Jerusalem to baptize 3,000 people on this day? But based on this event, here's a truth that we can hang our hat on. That the gospel changes lives. We see it time and again in the pages of Scripture. Maybe you've seen it in your life. Maybe you've seen it in the life of others around you. Throughout history, atheists have, have always tried to, to set out to disprove God, to disprove the Bible. But many who have taken an honest look at Scripture come to find that God is exactly who He said He is. That, that the Jesus of Scripture was God in flesh, and that He died for us and rose again. This is the story of two of the greatest Christian apologists of our lifetime. Both Josh McDowell and Lee Strobel set out to disprove Scripture to disprove God, and in their search found God to be exactly who He said He is. This is the experience of many Muslims throughout the world. That they've seen miraculous signs that reveal Jesus not just to be the prophet of their Scripture, but to be the Son of God, the very Son of God revealed in the Bible. See, the gospel changes. John Stott said this about Peter's sermon. He said, here's the message. There are two events, Jesus' death and resurrection, that are attested by two witnesses, the prophets 
and the apostles. And on that basis of which God makes two promises to us, forgiveness of our sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, based on two conditions, our repentance and faith played through baptism. He then goes on to say, we have no liberty to amputate this apostolic gospel by claiming the cross without the resurrection, referring to the New Testament without the Old Testament, offering forgiveness without the Spirit, or demanding faith without repentance. We've been made to live at peace with God. But sin revealed our unfaithfulness to our covenant with God. And though He continued to call us, we did not respond until He sent His Son, Jesus, who was rejected, crucified, and died in our, in our place. The religious leaders thought they had finally got rid of him. And while it was God's plan for him to die, it was also God's plan to raise him from the dead, to break the power of sin and death, to provide a means to restore us to relationship with him and to grant us access to his spirit and his presence. God's holiness required a sacrifice for our sin. Blood had to be shed so we could have forgiveness. See, if we died for our sins, it would only be appropriate justice for the sins we committed. If a perfect man died, we could only die for himself. For, for his blood would not be able to cover all the sins of all of humanity. It would just merely be a gift, an offering of his life back to his creator. But Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, only, only his blood had the power. To overcome all the sins, all the humanity, all time. As John Stott said, we cannot talk about the cross without the resurrection. We've been set free from the power of sin by the cross. But we are set free from the power of death by an empty tomb. Through his death, our sins are paid for. But through the resurrection, we have hope of eternal life in his presence. Maybe today. Maybe today is the day that you want to begin that journey. Maybe today, you, like the, the people on the day of Pentecost, want to know what it is that you should do. You can simply let us know by responding in two ways. One, in the digital clipboard down below, you can click on the box that says, Making a Specific Commitment Following Jesus. You, you can fill out your information there, and we will, we will get back to you, and, and we will help you take those next steps. If you want to, you can also do this. You can simply text 240-347-0897. We'll follow up with you, and we'll begin to help you process your next steps. And even though we might not be able to meet in a typical way, we want to let this life-changing moment pass you by. Because the gospel still changes lives. What scars? What scars do you have in your life? Maybe they're physical scars. They remind you of, of a, a health event, a medical emergency that God helped bring you through. Maybe they're relational or emotional scars that still are a bit tender. And these scars, these tender spots, and remind us of where God's grace is still active and at work in our life. They become the stories we share. If we tell, if we tell others how the gospel is still changing our lives, I don't believe that God ever wastes a hurt. 
He uses those hurts to reveal more of himself to us. To give us a story to tell others about how God had mercy on us. See the gospel? The gospel still changes lives today. See, the same message that Peter preached so many years ago is the same message that we preach today. That Jesus died for our sins. That he was buried and resurrected. That by his wounds we are healed. And by his resurrection we are set free. I don't know about you. That's the kind of life-changing experience I want. I hope it's a life-changing experience you want for yourself others around you. May the scars in our life tell the story of God's grace us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that your gospel, your story is still changing lives. Father, you are still impacting us where we are how we live, that Father, through your story, you can bring about measurable life change. Father, I pray that you would empower us in some way, great or small, through these days where we are still kind of in isolation, that you'd use us to share your story with others, about how you've impacted our life, about how you've gifted and empowered us to share with others the story how you saved us, loved us, and how you've made a way for us to come home to you. Father, I thank you for Peter and his bold proclamation about how Jesus came and lived and died for us, but not just died, but rose again to set us free from death, that we might access to your spirit and your presence and a home with you someday. Of the uses, bring about that reality in the lives of others. Peace and my prayer.